Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast. My name is Grant Schwalbe. I'll be your host today. Uh, the point of the Grabs Podcast is to bring real life rescues to you firsthand um, so that we can get our training right and, uh, and learn from the experiences of others. Today with me, I've got Bryce Beveridge from SAC Metro. Uh, welcome, Bryce. Hello, thank you. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, fire experience and your department? Okay, uh, I work for Sacramento Metropolitan Fire District. I'm going on eight years now working there. Um, I came in to that department with five or six years of experience with a bunch of various other departments part time, but currently, uh, eight years on the job at Sac Metro Fire, and uh, I'm assigned to Rescue 21 in the tools position, and uh, been there for almost six years. So rescues vary across the country. What's a rescue in Sac Metro? All right. So yeah, rescue in Sac Metro is a, it's a type one heavy rescue. It's, I think they, they call them like USARs in other places in the country and also squads, but we're not a pumper. We're just, uh, we're, where we work, we function as a first out truck company and we also handle all the technical rescue in our district. What's, what's your staffing like on that? We're 4-0 on the rescue, 4-0 on all of our trucks, and uh, we're 3-0 on our engines. And we have uh, fire medics with two-person two, uh, staffing. They're equipped with turnouts and SCBAs and everything. They can fight fire. Cool. Uh, so when you say 4-0 or 3-0, is that three firefighters and an officer? Or? All right, cool. Sorry, no. Uh, four, four personnel total on the truck, including an officer, and three personnel total on the engine with uh, one officer. All right. Tell us about your department. Um, we are the county of Sacramento, outside of the city limits of Sacramento. Uh, just the basic stats are, it's big. It's like 350 square miles, 750,000 population. Um, we got about 600 line personnel. Um, we have a pretty good variety of um, hazards in our district for sure i mean we go to areas where they're few and far between and there's wildland urban interface and then we have you know pretty densely populated cities and uh those type of things what what's your uh, makeup of engines and trucks and squads and battalions and stuff what's that look like um so okay so we have five battalions um there's uh, like eight or nine engines approximately per battalion, and we have uh, seven truck companies, and that includes our our rescue and also a hazmat. Cool. What's uh, So on a regular alarm on a single-family residential, what's that response matrix look like for you guys? It is uh, four engines, two trucks, two battalion chiefs, and one uh, fire medic. And then talk to us about on those runs, who's, what's your search culture like, or who's, what's the assignments like for the, for the crews arriving? Yeah. Um, our search culture is, is interesting. I think overall, uh, I'm, I'm pleased to say that we're aggressive and, um, aggressive with search and fire tech. It's kind of weird. When I first got hired there, I felt like, and maybe it was just the people I was exposed to, but it seemed like we were very uh, more 
vent minded towards vertical ventilation and not so much about the search. Um, like for instance, our, you know, in our, when we go to a fire and the truck company splits, the captain and the senior man go to the roof to ventilate and the driver and the tools guy go inside to do what they need to do. I don't know. Just to me, it just kind of said something about where we were at, um, how we viewed search versus ventilation. But recently I feel like um, it's kind of starting to move a lot more towards a search minded. And um, like I said, overall, I think we're aggressive and we definitely are getting searches done, but I think we're getting better. What, uh, so if, if you go in, uh, you're going in doing a search, two person search, how do you, how are you guys moving throughout the building or what, what's your search? Are you splitting? Are you doing oriented or what's that look like? Yep. So, um, I would say 90, 95% of the time when the truck company splits and two members go to the roof, the two other members will go inside and from there we'll split and, um, do our own searches individually. Usually one guy will go towards the bedrooms and one guy will go towards the common areas or whatever, unless it's like a scary fire and it's hot and really dark and then we'll stay together and do an oriented search. But generally we're probably just going to split up and take our own piece of the pie. Cool. So uh, let's, let's talk about that grab that you got. Uh, take us back to that day and kind of tell us how that went down. Okay. It was, uh, I was working a shift the day before New Year's Eve. Um, I think it was 2017. I'm pretty sure. And, um, it, I was on overtime. And, um, so at the state, I was working at my station, but on an overtime shift and there were two other guys there on overtime shifts. And, um, we were all kind of doing the, um, rock, paper, scissors to see who gets to be on the engine and who gets to be on the ambulance. And, um, my two guys that I'm good friends with, they work together at a different station. So they decided they're like, Hey, we're going to work the ambulance together. This is your station. You take the engine. So like I said, I'm assigned to rescue, but I, that day I happened to be on overtime working in the nozzle position on an engine. Um, so we got dispatched in the middle of the night, got woke up, uh, to a residential structure fire. Um, in route, we got a computer message that said possible 5150 still inside. And um, I didn't really, I don't know, you get reports of stuff on the way to fires all the time. And so it kind of, I don't know, it didn't really excite me too much, but I, you know, it was in the back of my head. Um, we arrived second, the uh, first in, in, and this was a detached garage that had been converted into a living space. So it was probably like 600 square feet and it had, you know, a full kitchen and bathroom added on to the back of it, but it still had a garage door on the front, looked like a detached garage. So the first in engine nozzle man, the garage is still intact, but there's flames shooting out of the cracks all around all three sides of the garage door. So he pulled a line and he's squirting water through the cracks around the garage door, trying to get some water on it. So I pulled up and I was going to help him advance toes, become his backup man as the second do guy. Um, but I could, I noticed that he was not able to get into the house that he was trying to get into. So I went around the 
Bravo side to look for an entrance. There was nothing there. Went back around the uh, Delta side and got to the Charlie side and found the man door that they were that he was using to get in and out of this place that he had converted. Um, I had the irons with me. I go and uh, try to force this door, and I'm kind of struggling with it. And it was funny because that day I had just um, been training with a pro V. I'm not exactly sure who it was now, but and I just got done telling him like, yeah, I'm like 90% of these residential doors, you can, you can basically just mule kick it and it'll pop right open, <laughs> which I know is not great technique, but so there I am that night trying to mule kick this door open and it's not going. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? So I, uh, and then I realized that it was barricaded. There was furniture and stuff behind the, behind an inward swinging door. So I had to take the door off the hinges with the Halligan. I get the door off. About that, that time, uh, the third new engine guy arrives. as uh, my buddy, Kurt Katsuyoshi, really good friends. And he sees what I'm dealing with. So he starts helping me yard and furniture out that was stacked up behind the door and into like a hallway that turns. So you go in the door and it's immediate right down a hallway. Um, so I had put my tool down so I could get this furniture out. So finally I took the last piece of furniture out. My buddy Kurt masks up, goes in. Um, I mask up and go in right behind him. He goes in, hangs a left down or into a bedroom off that hallway that had been framed up inside this garage. And I keep going past the bedroom because I know he's going to search that bedroom. I keep going past the bedroom. And uh, boom, I'm on my knees crawling, and I run into a guy face-to-face. -face, and it looked like something out of a scary movie, just black, soot-covered face with the look of terror in his eyes. And all these weird thoughts go through your head in about two seconds. But I um, I grabbed him, and I, and I thought I was running into another firefighter inside the structure, right? So I'm... I, I'm trying to turn around, turn around and look at his coat to see if there's a name on it or something. And, and then I realized that this guy doesn't have like a mask or a helmet on or anything. I'm like, so then I'm like, Holy shit. Yes. I'm getting a grab. So, and then at that moment I look up and he's got in his left arm, he's got a giant, gigantic kitchen knife. That's about, you know, 10 inches long and it comes straight down over my shoulder and he's trying to, whack at me with this kitchen knife um luckily i don't think he could see anything and he was probably disoriented from not being able to breathe or whatever but uh yeah he missed so uh everybody says they've got a plan but i you know at that moment it scared me and i freaking i just pushed him away from me and i and i and i de-asked the place i left and i went to the door the, the truck company was coming in to do a search and I told him, I'm like, Hey, don't go in here. There's a guy with a knife. Of course I got my mask on. So no one can understand what the hell I'm saying, but I'm just like, don't go in here. Don't go in here. And then I remembered my buddy Kurt was in there searching that bedroom. So I'm like, crap. So I turn around and go back in. So these guys outside are thinking I'm crazy because I'm telling them not to go in and now I'm going back in. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> this guy. So I had walked gone past the bedroom and found him, pushed him, left. He was crawling back towards the exit himself. 
and uh, had passed the bedroom that my buddy Kurt was in searching. So when he came out of the room, he was behind the guy. And there he sees the guy on his hands and knees, like crawling. And um, so he grabs him and he's got no idea that this guy has a knife. And he's thinking the same thing. I'm thinking like, all right, I'm getting a grab. <laughs> and then um, I came in luckily right at the exact same time that he ran into him. And I just went straight for his hand that had the knife. And I grabbed the hand with the knife and I'm trying, and Kurt was trying to get him out and he was fighting to stay in. I was trying to rip the, hand, the knife out of his hand and I couldn't get the knife out of his hand to save my life. All I could do is hang onto his arm so that he wasn't swinging it around. Luckily, one of the dudes from the, from truck that was the truck company that was coming in to do a search, Chris Neese, he actually understood what I was saying when I was talking through my mask. He came in and got the knife out of the guy's hand while I held his arm. And then me and my buddy Kurt just grabbed one wrist each and dragged him less than 10 feet the rest of the way out the door into the yard. And then, uh, yeah, they caught the medic came up with the gurney and we had to tie him down. I mean, it was a fight. The guy had a ton of fight in him and he had skin melting off of his head, his hands. Um, and he went off to the hospital and he, he, uh, did well. That's crazy. Was, um, was the fighting, uh, based on, uh, his, his, oxygen levels or was it something you know something something else going on there so it appears that he had probably lit the place on fire and i think he i don't think he wanted to be rescued i think that was the that was the issue he was trying to stay in there what uh, what was smoke conditions like inside um your, I your visibility say... uh so like you had to be about a foot away i was on my knee at at knee level, it was about, you had to have something about, I mean, I almost face to face, like a foot away before you could make out what something was. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then you said he, he was burned and, and skin was coming off and stuff. Did that make it difficult? Were, were you guiding him or were you pulling him or what was that drag like? So we were pulling him um, and he had a sweatshirt on. And I was, so I was able to get a long sleeve sweatshirt on. So I was able to grab his forearm and my, and Kurt was able to grab his other forearm and just and pull him out. He wasn't a big guy either. He was probably a buck 60, maybe a buck 70, pretty slender male. So yeah, just one wrist each. And we were able to get him out that way. It didn't, the skin didn't seem to affect us. Nice. With, um, when you have something like that and you get that first victim out, it was there, did the truck crew end up going in and searching to make sure that there wasn't another person or this was, you know, he, he was a perpetrator and committed a crime and you got another, another uh, patient possibly inside or what's that look like? Boy, I'm, I'm, I couldn't tell you for sure what happened on this incident. I know it took a few of us to pin him down the lawn and, um, be able to get him onto a gurney um so those of us who were involved in that we weren't able to immediately like peel off and go finish the search um so i don't know exactly how that search was finished but i if i was if i had to bet a paycheck i would say that um the other half of that truck company went in there and, and finished the the search and by that time 
fire was getting knocked down and, and conditions were getting a lot better too. So it might've been almost more like secondary. Yeah. Um, at that time. So secondary search. personal question, hypothetical on this. If you were next, if you say you were fourth due on here and per, somebody had come out and they said, Hey, we found one inside. We didn't finish the search. How would you start your search? If they'd already, somebody had already been pulled out, would you start all over? Would you start where they left off or what would that look like for you? Boy. Um, for me personally, I would try to figure out where they left off and start from there. Um, but that type of thing doesn't happen a lot. So it's, it's hard to say how that would actually go in real life. I, I don't know. Yeah. I put you on the spot. It's something I've never asked anybody, but you know, being that this just came up and you know, I was kind of thinking, you know, we got 600 square feet. Uh, if I got yeah. put in that position, is it worth just starting over or, you know, right. how sometimes yeah. we get so disoriented inside, would I be able to take somebody's word for it where they left off or could something yeah. get lost in the translation? But uh, just, just for food for thought, but I appreciate you sharing the story. Anything else? that you wanted to talk about on this one or any other lessons learned out of this, this fire? Um, no, I, I think, um, it was kind of the cool thing about it was it kind of changed my mentality towards searching in that at, from that point on, I expected to find people inside houses, you know, inside a structure now versus, um, all the other searches I'd done previously in my life. And, um, and then the other thing too, that I thought was interesting was, you know, we get a lot of studies, scientific stuff, um, about how much heat a human can endure before they pass, whether it's in their airway or not. And, um, I just wouldn't take that science for gospel because, you know, I've seen, I've seen personally <laughs> people survive stuff that the, that the scientists would tell you is not survivable, in my opinion. Cool. Well, thanks, Bryce. We appreciate you sharing the story. Uh, to any of the listeners that are out there, if you get a grab or assist, uh, regardless of the outcome of the victim, we ask you to go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com. Take that short survey. That information's there for us uh, to learn from and, uh, and train on. Uh, likewise, if you've got a grab and you want to share your story, get a hold of me, Grant Schwalbe. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, you can text me at 239-898-0843. Get a hold of Justin McWilliams or Nick Ledeen. Um, and until next time, 